1: Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday, time for our Zoomer squad. And the word is that today is finally the day the Ontario government will commit to giving long-term care residents an average of four hours of direct care every day. Now, this is what stakeholders and people who have studied the issue have been calling for for years. And the caveat is the government's pledge... Also, won't take effect for years. They're promising this by 2024-25. So, uh, is this a case of better late than never, or is it just cover? Because they seem to have done little to prepare for the second wave in our long-term care homes. Also, the US election is tomorrow. Is the Zoomer demographic still as important as ever? And how are they voting? Let me give you the numbers. See if you want to weigh in on these topics. 416-360-0740. Toll free one 866 740 Now, Let's go to David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, Bill Van Gorder, the Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hi, guys. Hi, Libby. Hello, everyone. Okay. Good afternoon, uh, Libby. Let us begin with Bill and long-term care. Uh, So uh, this is what we heard will happen later this afternoon. Is that good enough?
2: Well, it certainly is a start. Uh, if it happens, the trouble is, as you pointed out, it's not going to happen until twenty four, twenty five, which isn't going to do anything for the current situation. Uh, as as you know, uh, residents currently get about two and three quarter hours per day of of care, and that's on an average. There's uh, many who get less. Uh, so uh, four is certainly needed. Uh, but it also means doubling the amount of care, which means, I would think, doubling the number of staff. And how are they going to do that? That's the the real question. Not should it be done? Yes. Can it be done? As, uh, can it be done without more plans than just money? I'm not sure.
1: Well, yeah, and I have to say that I'm surprised seeing the statistic that it somehow averages out to two and three quarter hours per resident now. I yeah, mean, we, that is we, certainly not what happened in the pandemic when we had those horrific stories of neglect and people being left in their beds for hours and days. David? We
2: heard that directly from CARP members and we heard that from residents uh, themselves. So can we believe this now? Uh, it's a question, isn't it?
3: David? Once again, I think we're uh, the government's uh, a victim of its own uh, very flawed communications on this. They've never distinguished between short-term fixes that are needed to save lives now during the pandemic, which everybody would have accepted as short-term emergency and not business as usual. We've got to do these measures right this minute, and part two, we're fixing the longer uh, term. I'm not saying that it takes four years to hire 10,000 more workers, and maybe it does but what are they doing right now what are they doing long term they've never really separated those two so as to give you the confidence that they have plans uh you know for both scenarios
1: yeah and and, and it it's interesting that you know i have stumbled on things that they don't tell you about so you know, I wouldn't say that they've done nothing. Uh, the question is, have they done enough? And we see the numbers going up in long-term care and the outbreaks. I mean, they're down a little bit this week. It's back in the 70s from 86, I think, at a high. But I, I think you're right. Part of the problem is communication. But but that is the, the question on everyone's mind. You know, how are, how are we going to prevent a, another tragedy? Peter?
4: Well, you know what, Libby? You, you're Absolutely right. They they have a plan, and um, it, it's very, you know, in keeping with what we've been saying over these past weeks. Um, they just are not getting it out. They they, um, you know, it, I had to dig deep to find it, and it's it, it's excellent. It's recruit, retrain, re, uh, retain, and train new workers. Implement the flu immunization. Maintain strong public health measures identify and manage and quickly prevent covid outbreaks they have it all and they're just not getting it out there and when they do get it out there they're um adding that it won't be around till 2024 and and just sort of softening what what is actually a good plan but no one knows about it
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking, Uh you mentioned you mentioned flu vaccinations. Now, anecdotally we're hearing uh, about shortages or distribution problems or distribution problems in certain channels. Uh has anybody heard about vaccination in long-term care homes? I mean, they were supposed to get first dibs. <laughs>
2: I haven't heard, I haven't heard anything. Okay. No, I ha- haven't. Good uh good good question. Uh, I would assume we might have heard if they hadn 't been uh, rolling out they certainly promised that they would be the first to get the high dose
3: mhm
2: well they they 've uh, i think they they said at one point one of the one of the doctors in charge
4: said they 'd never seen so much demand for the flu shot, so um i i suppose the worry was that they wouldn't have enough of it because everyone this year is, is going out to uh to get a shot I, I i know people who who have been skeptical in years past about getting one are going this year so um m- maybe it's just uh, the demand is exceeding the supply?
1: Well, the, de- the demand is seems to be exceeding the supply. And, and, you know, this is a case where I almost hesitate to criticize the government because last year apparently 300,000 doses or something like that went to waste. They ordered too much. So they ordered an extra 700,000, and it looks like it's not enough, and in some ways I suppose that's good news. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's hard to gauge. It sounds to me that the distribution system is is really off kilter. And well,
3: that's true. That's it right there.
1: Last, last week, I talked to somebody from Rexall. So now the pharmacies can give both flu shots, and but they only allocated 20% of the supply to pharmacies. Whereas in a lot went to doctor's offices based on what they did last year. And a lot of doctors aren't even giving flu shots this year.
4: And, and I imagine people are less willing to go to their doctors for a flu shot, you know, rather than their local pharmacy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it sounds like the distribution is is kind of messed up, but, you know, in terms of the supply. But right now, I mean, I can imagine how upsetting it is. People who made appointments in advance uh, have, are having their appointments canceled because the pharmacies don't have supply.
3: And, and logic and it's, would it's dictate it. that the volume would be in the farm. I mean, you know, got so many neighborhood points of contact with pharmacies where you can dis- dispense the, uh, in, in our local pharmacy, I went in, I was, I got the high dose. They didn't have any of the regular dose, nothing, zero. And um, so that's I think a that's a switch.
1: The, that, <laughs>
3: that, that, no, they did, only had the high dose, but, but uh, not the regular. And uh, I do think you're right, Libby, I think that, uh, I can't criticize only any of us can criticize how many vaccines did you order cuz that's sort of a crystal ball and it's it's easy to you know criticize it but if they can't even distribute what they did order that's another problem
1: Well that's there's I've I've had this conversation before a lot it's distributed through Toronto Public Health like so I'm asking why is public health in the distribution business and uh they don't use barcodes or anything like that so right. Just uh, really, you know, why don't we get people who are expert in distribution to distribute? Uh, that makes too much sense. I know. <laughs> you know that? I mean, come on. <laughs> so, um, back to the long term care issue before we move along to the much sexier topic of the American <laughs> election. But back to it, what are you watching for this week, Bill. We also know that we're going to get more details on the plan in the in the Ontario budget, which is coming on Thursday. What are you looking for this week?
2: Well, you're right. In my notes that I've made before we talked today, I said the devil is in the details. Uh, you know, budgets uh, are a business plan, but not necessarily a commitment. So as always, uh, we're going to be looking again to the Ministry of Long-Term Care in terms of What are they actually going to roll out to accomplish these goals? And we haven't had a lot of confidence or reason to be confident over the month in their ability to really deal with the uh, the on-the-ground issues. So uh, we're going to be watching very carefully exactly how they're going to do this, how they're going to uh, make it happen, and uh, and frankly why they think it's going to take them uh, five years until it's totally implemented.
1: Uh, Yeah, Uh, that's a a very good question, though, if you're doing the math, and if if it is, in fact, an average of two and three quarters, and you have to get to four, and uh, I mean, so does that mean that each personal support worker just has two patients a day, and that's it? I I suspect that's that's not what it means, but, but if it does, they have to hire a lot of people.
2: Well, they'll they'll have to do in terms of per And what does what is their definition of uh, uh, personal care? If, if does that mean that, uh, a single staff person giving care over four hours to two people at the same time? That some some uh, some care items are multi- uh, multiplied where they can be done in in smaller numbers. It it. We really have to see what the details are.
1: Okay. All righty. Let us move along to the U.S. election. Oh, wait, one question before we move to that, and that is to Peter. And uh, you were surprised two weeks ago that Merrilee Fullerton, the Minister of Long-Term Care, still had her job. What are you thinking now?
4: Well, I'm thinking that I jumped the gun a bit. and (laughs) She's she's not going anywhere. (laughs) Despite what uh, the NDP is calling for, um, he may just to uh, Doug Ford may just choose to ride it out, uh, you know, without taking a black eye and and offering up a sacrificial victim, as David predicted he would last week. So, um, yeah. I, I, I admit to being, uh, I, I jumped the gun, I was too hasty, and um, she's still there, so, so perhaps she will survive it.
1: Okay, well, I guess we'll see. And so, uh, Peter, we'll, we'll still start this with you. Um, the, uh, if, first of all, we have t- the two oldest U.S. presidential candidates in history, and then we have this whole uh, business of the Zoomer vote, and we know that it's absolutely critical in Florida. W- what is happening there?
4: Well, in in terms of age, um, Zoomer did a really in depth article on the aging brain and uh, what effect it has on um, your ability to to be a, a, a leader of the world's largest uh, or the world's most powerful country. And what it came down to was um, the the executive function, which is your ability to plan, to organize, to um, you know, speak properly, to uh, control your impulses, and to make sound decisions. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm and, laughing. And um, the, the writer found that as we age, our executive function uh, remains strong unless there are pre-existing conditions like obesity or diabetes or any sort of vascular um, disease that creeps in over time and uh, impairs its executive function. So so what Americans are looking at are two leaders, both aging, both have pre-existing conditions, and um, they'll have to um, surround themselves with ABLE advisors because it's inevitable that as you age and, and you have pre-existing conditions, you are going to have... Um, impairment of executive function. So that's what they're facing tomorrow. One, one of two men over 70 are going to lead the country, and um, how badly their executive function is impaired with age is a huge question.
1: Well, and uh, I would say how badly their executive function is already impaired. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. it's a personal, uh You know, if you when you look at uh, Donald Trump, how much self-control does he show? Uh, probably not that much.
4: Not that much, but the the writer suggested that could just be <laughs> rather than age, that could just be like a, a personality. Absolutely, disorder I'm not suggesting have, right? it's age. Yeah. I
1: don't think it is. Right. So, uh, more of the same. Uh, David, what about uh, Zoomers as a voting block? So, on the one hand, we hear about older voters turning away from Donald Trump because of COVID. And on the other, we're hearing about younger voters maybe coming out more uh, strongly than they have in the past. It's
3: a it's a complete mess if you can believe the polls and the polls are all over the map. But the conventional wisdom right now so far is Trump is actually winning age forty five to sixty four. So the lower half, the younger half of the Zoomer cohort, Zoomer defined as forty five plus, and he's losing among the sixty five plus. But that's on a national basis, and it's by no means clear that that's true in every state, particularly in the battleground states. The other thing is that the youth vote, based on um, ballots submitted so far and early voting so far, uh, the youth vote is underperforming expectations, and in particularly in places like Florida uh, and Pennsylvania, that's worrying the Democrats so far because they believe and the polls believe, believe that Um, the youth will, uh, you know, the youth have to turn out and they will likely turn out in droves for Biden as opposed to Trump. So it's not even the polls, it's who shows up. And uh, I do think that the pattern we're seeing so far is that the older voter, the 45 plus, let's say, will represent a higher percentage of turnout. They're 20 points higher so far in um, mail-in ballots requested and mail-in ballots returned. They're in the uh, 80% range uh, of the people that uh, have requested and and, uh, or or of the people in that age group, and the younger voters are in the 60% range. So it's still going to be the dominant uh, bullying block. It's by no means clear who they're going to vote for, and whether COVID is going to be uh, dis- equally decisive everywhere.
1: Doesn't it make sense, though, that younger voters will be less inclined to vote in advance or, or do mail-in because they'd be less worried about getting COVID?
3: Yes, but they're measuring it relative to itself. So they're measuring it that that in four years ago where you know there was no such concern what did the numbers look like and what are they looking like today. You're quite right, though. It could be a surprise on, on Election Day. But to the extent that the early vote, and remember, there was also in-person advanced voting, not only by mail. So compared to itself, they seem to be slightly underperforming uh, 2016. Um but who knows uh, i don't have very much uh, confidence in any of the polls they're just uh they're all over the place i'm afraid
1: uh peter uh do you see a, a waning in the influence of of the older demographic
4: well um according to david's uh you know his his uh read out there like i i if the youth vote is down, and I, I would be hugely surprised if it were uh, come election day, because I've never seen so much advertising to get the vote out. Usually, they just have one public service announcement, and it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of whatever. But uh, you know, the the sports leagues have really been pushing the vote, and uh, celebrities have, and so, I, you know, I I'd be surprised if they didn't turn out on on voting day, and if if they do turn out then the we can see the older vote uh, influence wane. But if they don't turn out, as David suggests, um, th- there's a possibility, then I, the older voters will determine the election.
1: What about, I mean, we know that in 2016, older voters went for Trump en masse. Now we hear a lot of them are turning away. So what is the situation there?
4: Possibly because they—they they, it's two older candidates, and and you know they're both in their seventies. There's not much to, you know, um, health-wise, <laughs> much to choose from. So um, perhaps they 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 see themselves reflected in the Democrats this time around where they didn't last time. I'm not can sure. That, that's just pure speculation.
3: Can I sound a note of caution? Though? Yes, it's impossible to this without looking at state by state, because it's going to be decided in the Electoral College. So let me give you a completely counterintuitive, I don't know what it means, but in Florida, which has, of course, a high percentage of the older voter, um, the early ballots that have been handed in so far, and remember when they, when they measure this, they say, did I get a ballot from somebody who's registered as a Democrat? They don't open the ballot. The guy could have voted for the Republican. But how many ballots came in from Democrats? How many came in from Republicans? How many came in from independents? In Florida, the Democrats are supposed to ramp up a huge win in the pre-vote in Miami-Dade because Trump is going to win in the rural areas later on on Election Day. Miami-Dade is underperforming for the Democrats as of today. They're very worried about it. And in particular, the young vote and the Hispanic vote uh, hasn't shown up yet in the numbers that they were expecting. Now, will it show up tomorrow in person? I think Peters makes a good point that maybe they will. But right now, compared to the benchmarks they're looking at, there doesn't appear to be overwhelming evidence that the older vote is you know on mass uh, turning away. that could change uh, the the in- person voting could change. but right now uh, Florida looks like either a toss-up or maybe slightly favoring Trump, which would not have been the case a week ago.
1: Well, yeah, I, I was talking to a demographic expert in, in Florida, and what he was saying is by no means all older voters turning away from Trump. There are some diehards there, but, but Biden doesn't need all of them. He only needs a certain percentage.
3: It's true. It's absolutely true. And then how many of them are going to show up? The the big problem is the polls tell you how many, what the people's opinion was when they were asked, even if you assume that that's correct and there's this whole shy Trump voter phenomenon that some pollsters are on to. But even if you assume that they accurately told you, how many of them are going to turn up? Uh, and vote. There's also, and this is, a, this is I'm just throwing it in the mix, Libby, just for fun, there's also a theory now that in the last week or so, the headlines about how terrible things are in Europe with COVID and the surge of COVID and the lockdowns in France and Germany and England is taking the curse off Trump's mismanagement of COVID a little bit and making people think that maybe it wasn't so bad after all. I'm not commenting on whether that's a valid opinion to hold. I'm just saying that that is an opinion. Uh, that some people are seeing some signs of that. If the European, which was held out as a, they're doing it right, we're doing it wrong, and now they're surging way worse than we are, if they really are, but if that's your perception, if that's the headlines, then maybe, gosh, maybe we weren't so bad after all. So there's all these, it's like a stew, you know, throw your ingredients into the pot and stir it around and see what comes up to the surface. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's it's very complicated. A little very later in the show, I'm going to be talking to uh, the inventor of Polly, the artificial intelligence prognosticator that has a pretty good record. But uh, uh, I can sense things that are, are are turning around a bit, and and um, you know, some of the it's all so negative there. So I don't know, Bill, do you have a view?
2: Well, yes. As as someone who represents the age group we're we're talking about, I I, I agree with with everything that uh, David and and Peter have have said, uh, and I I do think that it's unfortunate that we are focusing in on the age of the of the candidates rather than on the the voting sectors. Remember, the uh, traditionally in, in in the states, uh, Republicans have been ten percent ahead of. democrats when it comes to getting the older the older vote so if things are going to turn around for biden this time not only uh, do we have to have uh, more uh, change just to even that out, but to to win, especially in places like Florida and Arizona, they have to uh, come through strongly, and uh, it doesn 't look at the moment as if uh, uh, older Americans are voting as an older block again. I think this is the other uh, uh, the other thing that people don 't uh, realize, and that is uh, uh, people of an age don't vote. Uh, as, as a group they vote more traditionally, many of them don't change their, uh, their vote. Uh, what's surprising, uh, I think more is that the parties haven't recognized the need to have younger voters, too. And the traditional, long-time politicians are not what uh, a lot of the public are looking for uh, today. So the the, uh, issue in the long run may end up being a real learning for both parties in this election.
1: Okay, uh, we're starting to run out of time. Peter, what would you like to leave us with?
4: Um, well, I'll be looking, um, I mean, obviously at the U.S. election, but down Thursday, the Ontario uh, government will release its budget. and It's first since the pandemic struck, and it'll be interesting to see just what the uh, grim picture is on spending. And hopefully it will motivate the federal liberals to release a budget because they <laughs> haven't done one for close to 600 days now. And um, may- maybe the Ontario uh, government's move will prompt the federals to
3: follow suit.
1: Uh I wouldn't I wouldn't hold my breath on that <laughs> one. <laughs> David?
3: Well, you know, a while ago Bill said and he was right, the devil's in the details. I'll be looking at the Ontario statement this afternoon and the budget. But not only is the devil in the details, I would suggest to you that How about some details, period? What are the details? We get fine-sounding phrases. We're going to manage this. We're going to control that. Early alert for this. But it's all objectives. It's not even details. So I want to see something concrete, uh, and that's what I'll be looking
1: for. Okay. And Bill?
2: The budget uh, creates a very interesting situation. Uh, Premier Ford said that he didn't believe that increasing taxes was a solution to the uh, all the money that's being spent because of COVID-19. And in a question-and-answer session with CARP volunteers from across the country last Friday, uh, the NDP leader, Jack Meet Singh, said almost the same thing. Uh, COVID pandemic creates interesting parallels in political approach. Mm. And I wonder whether or not it will actually create more unity when it comes to how we solve the financial problems that are facing all levels of government.
1: Okay. Uh, It'll be a whole different world when we talk again next (laughs) week, Uh, I think. Thank you so much, Peter Mugridge, David Kravitz, and Bill Van Gorder.
3: Thanks so much, Libby. Bye, everyone.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.